Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 846. Today we're talking about what you can do in the last 30 to 90 days of the year to impact 2023 taxes and get your financial house in order for a better 2024. And today, on loan from our sister show, Bigger Pockets Money, Mindy Jensen is joining as my co-host today. Rob, I am so excited to be filling David's shoes today so that <laughs> he can take you. a day off and work on filling out his beard. <laughs> well, right. I know. It's getting a little out of control. <laughs> Whether you just had a major tax bill due or you're new to real estate, can you still impact how much you're going to pay to Uncle Sam this year? Well, we are here to share some ideas for how you can pay less this year and set yourself up to save more next year. And that's what we do every single week on the Bigger Pockets podcast. We bring you stories, how to's, and answers you need in order to make smart real estate decisions now in today's market. By the way, in today's show, you're going to hear how you can write off your pro membership. Right. That's just a tip. That's just, that's a, just tip. a tip. Not a quick tip, but it's a good one. It's an extra quick tip. Welcome to the show, Amanda and Matt. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having us, Rob and David. I mean, Mindy. <laughs> I know we look a lot alike, so it is hard to, uh, I get that a lot. How's everyone doing? Awesome. You know, I think contrary to popular belief, a lot of people who see us nowadays are thinking this is our slow season. Uh, but actually for uh, people like us who focus heavily on tax planning, this is actually uh, a pretty busy time for us. So we're really excited to be here and kind of share all the tips and tricks on what investors can do to protect their hard-earned money. You said the P word, tax planning. I guess that's yeah. the TP word, the different TP word. <laughs> I think that's really important uh, to note that your tax professional can help you plan for saving this money, but they can't help you plan for 2023 at the end of 2023. They're helping plan for next year. So the best time to talk to your tax professional is now for next year's taxes. The best time to talk about 2023's taxes was uh, last year at the end of this. <laughs> I was going to say a year ago. A year ago. Yeah, just about a year ago. Because there are things that you need to be doing during the course of the year, as Amanda and Matt will share, because they're the tax pros, not me. That's true. That's true. Taxes are a very interesting game of dominoes and uh, chess mixed together. It's the 4D chess, as they say. And Amanda, Matt, uh, you're going to give us an overview of areas that listeners can still make changes to in 2023 to improve their tax situation. So I, I believe today we're going to be talking about things like retirement accounts, HSA accounts, withholdings, charitable donations, real estate deductions, including one that I've never heard of. We'll also get into how you can stay in good standing with your tax team. I have a bit of a rant on this one. And <laughs> best practices in the industry to help make tax time less stressful. Amanda, why is this important? And is it too late to change anything in 2023? I know I said that the best time to plan for 2023 was the end of last year. There are still things we can do this year. What are some of the things that our listeners can can do to help fix their 2023 tax situation? Well, I think, you know, if you're a listener who has already been doing tax planning, you know, starting with earlier this year, let's say in January 2023, then you're probably ahead of, I don't know, 90% of investors that we meet. Um, so, so the reality is most investors have not done appropriate planning this year. And if you fall within that, you know, large number of people who haven't done it, year end planning is sort of like the last ditch effort on making sure you could still do certain things before year end to have the right facts to pay less taxes next year. Um, effectively, where your numbers fall on December 31st determines how much taxes you will pay or save by next April. Yeah, I mean, there's still there's still a few things you could do next year to impact 2023 taxes, but obviously there's a lot more you can do between now and year end. A lot more options you would have to put in place now versus obviously waiting until after year end for sure. Yeah, I think we talk a lot during the year about an example might be how do we pay our kids and take a tax deduction for it? Uh, so inevitably, sometime, you know, in early next year, somebody will say, hey, I heard you on a podcast where you said to pay my kids. And I really want to do that now for last year. Well, guess what? It's too late in 2024 to pay your kids for 2023. But right now, it's not too late to pay your kids for 2023, as long as all of that is done correctly before the end of the year. So that's just one of many examples of what else we can consider in the next, you know, like Rob said, 30 to 60 days to still get some pretty massive tax savings. 
Well, I'm excited to dive into that, but before we do, we're going to take a quick break. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Okay, and we're back with Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland. Let's get into a few things that you mentioned on that list. What are some things that listeners should be doing with their retirement accounts and HSAs before the end of the year? Matt, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things they first and foremost they should be doing is definitely uh, talk with their tax advisor about which uh, how the year's going and what type of retirement account is going to be best for their business or their activities, right? So it's not one size fits all. There's obviously lo- loads of different kinds of retirement accounts, but you know, you want to figure out which one is going to be the best for your situation. You know, how much income did you make this year? Do you have any employees? Um, how much are you wanting to contribute? What's your tax liability going to be? All those good questions, because some of the retirement accounts may need to be set up before year end, and some of them may actually not have to be set up uh, by year end and not even funded until next year for this year. So it's going to depend on everyone's kind of, you know, personal personal goals for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're someone who had active real estate income or I guess income of all sorts, but we're talking specifically to people in real estate. So, for example, if you had a lot of wholesale income, fix and flip income or just like realtor commissions, um, there are generally really great ways for you to maximize your tax savings by putting money towards retirement account. And so one way to look at it is, you know, if I had $60,000, would I rather pay that to the IRS or would I rather redirect that money towards saving for my own retirement? Um, And if I put it towards retirement account, not only do I get a tax deduction for it, but I could also potentially use it to invest in real estate as well through like a self-directed investing avenue. Yeah. Okay. So what is the, the, the is $60,000 like the max that you can contribute to your retirement account or how does it, how exactly does that work? Yeah, it's, a, it's around that number. It's a, it's a combined number between, um, you know, what you can do as an employee and what your employer can do when you put them two together. Mm. Um, now that's for like defined, they call it defined contribution plans, like a 401k. Um, 
if somebody is kind of fits the right profile, even there's even options like a defined benefit plan that, you know, we've seen um, don't have those limits where I've, you know, we've seen people put $150,000, $200,000 into it every year. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely different types of plans, different limits. But, yeah, to your to your answer, your question, that's that's around it, what it is for those 401k type plans. Yeah, I think this the max this year is about 66000 in the 401k. And then the defined benefit plan Matt is talking about uh, could be added on top of that, too. So it's not one or the other. A lot of our clients looking are, are able to do both of those together. Oh, okay. And Mindy, is this something that you're you're doing as well? Y- yes, uh, but I didn't have that defined benefit plan, so now I have to go talk to my uh, talk to my guy. But I have a self directed solo four hundred one k, so I am um, a little bit older than probably some of the people that are listening to this show. I have a lot of four hundred one ks from past uh, past jobs, and every time I left my job, I would just roll it over into an IRA. And when I became self-employed, I'm a real estate agent, so therefore I am self-employed, 1099. And uh, you have to have self-employment income to have a self-directed solo 401k. I gathered up all of my IRAs, I rolled them into my 401k plan, and now I can use that pot of money to invest in real estate. I can use it to invest in the stock market. I can use it to make um loans to other real estate investors, private loans. I can use it for a lot of things. There are a few things I can't use it to invest in, uh, weird collectible things like cars and I think paintings and wine. Conveniently, none of the things I want to invest in anyway. Um, <laughs> so it works out really well. I want to invest in real estate, the stock market, and make private loans. So it works out perfect. But what I do is I funnel all of my real estate agent income into that account. That is 100% tax-free because it's going there before I pay any taxes on it. Um, and then my company matches my up to 25% of my income. So uh, I think the contribution limits this year are 22500 If you're under 50, you get an extra 6000 if you're over 50, which I am. So now I've got 28500 in that account, plus 25% of that on top of that that my company matched. So that is the amount of money that goes in there right off the top of my income. My husband is under the same rules. So he also has a self-directed solo 401k. So every year we can legally, I I don't want to say legally redirect, but legally redirect money that would have been taxed to this non-taxed account of, I didn't do the math really quickly. 28 and 28 is like 50 something plus 56. Yeah. Plus 25% on top of that. I mean, like 60, $70,000, the first 60 or $70,000 coming in, we're paying no taxes on. Dang, okay. And the reason we're able to do this is because we have other sources of income and other buckets that we can pull from to to live off of. But, you know, the the there are, and again, you don't know what you don't know. So if you are doing your own taxes because you want to save the $300 it costs or whatever, you could be shooting yourself in the foot and not having all of these extra benefits because you didn't know about it. Who reads the tax code? People like Amanda and Matt read the tax code. That's what you're paying them for. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't brush up every night before bed? No, I do not. <laughs> I've got a 7,000 page booklet and I'm currently on page three. It, but it's, it, helps yeah. you, it helps you go to sleep faster for sure. <laughs> well, it sure would. Exactly. It's a genius <laughs> podcast idea. Just you reading the right, tax code, right. and you go to sleep to that. Oh. What's you know? I think what's really interesting is um, that you know, in your scenario, Mindy, because you, your spouse is also self-employed or has other active income outside of a W-2, effectively, you guys can double up on all those things, right? So you're doubling up on the solo 401k right now. If you decide to get into a defined benefit plan where we're doing more than the 66,000, you can double up too. So, I mean, we have clients who are able to write off, you know, $400,000 or more against their taxable income. And what I love about it is in the self-directed arena, once the money's in there, we also get to invest that in real estate and have it grow tax deferred, whether it's a rental property or you wanted to do hard money lending to, um, you know, some of Rob's fix and flip deals or something. Uh, it's really a really amazing way to save taxes today, as well as having tax deferred money growing for you too. So you've used the phrase defined benefit plan a couple of times. Can you explain what that means to our listeners? Yeah, it's kind of more like a, I almost say like a supercharged retirement account. So it's, 
you know, where like a 401k, they, they call it, like I was saying, a defined contribution. So they tell you how much you put in and it'll grow based on how performances. A defined benefit is actually kind of flip-flop where they say, here's the amount of benefit that it's going to be calculated, you know, at retirement age and they back into how much you're allowed to contribute, like actuarial calculations. So that's why it works really well for people who are, you know, in their 50s or 60s who are getting close to retirement age because it allows you to put a lot more in because you have less years to get to that defined benefit amount that they do these calculations on. So um, that's where it can really be powerful, especially if you have no other employees or if you do have employees, they're, you know, really young, like they're in their twenties or something, because then, you know, they, you wouldn't have to contribute very much for them because it's 40 years of retirement or something. We've seen that. I mean, yeah, the older you are typically the, the higher dollar amount you can put in uh, currently Um, we've seen it as, you know, as young as like forties, but anyone under, under 40, like in their thirties, it has to be pretty extraordinary circumstances where it could make sense. So you could still do it. It's just that, you know, the older in age, the more you can put in per year. Um, what I also love about a lot of these retirement contributions, since we're talking about year end, right, is that m- for the most part, a lot of this money does not have to go in before the end of the year. You have until the date you file the 2023 tax returns to contribute. So, you know, if you're in a sole proprietorship, you have maybe as late as October 15th of 2024, to actually put the money in. Um, if you have a corporation, you might have until next September to put the money in. So it allows us to have more time with our money, but still be able to count on that deduction up front. Yeah, but I think the key is you have more time to contribute, but the key is to understand what are your numbers going to look like for, for this year, right? So you need to know, as we're kind of up on year end, like how much taxable income am I going to have? Is it going to be 800000 Is it going to be five hundred? Because if you think it's eight hundred and you're not planning on this contribution, Maybe you're going out and buying more real estate, which isn't a bad thing, but maybe you've spent more, you know, more money than maybe you needed to, you know, if that makes sense. Right. So it's that's why it's important to kind of get get an idea of where 2023 looks like before kind of making some of these decisions. Sure. Sure. Well, can we talk a little bit about charitable donations? Because I see this one being like a I feel like I I see a TikTok on this like every single day. But how does that actually work if you donate to, to some kind of charitable organization? Are you deducting? You're not getting necessarily like a credit on your taxes. It's still just like a tip, typical write-off, right? Or is does it? Am I missing how that works? Yeah, exactly. So charitable donations. If you donate something that's worth a hundred dollars, is going to, you know, reduce your taxable income by a hundred dollars. It doesn't mean you're going to save a hundred dollars in actual tax, right? Because our tax saving is is going to be the write-off multiplied by your tax rate. So, I mean, in most charitable planning strategies. Um, our leading indicator does have to be an investor or a taxpayer who is charitable minded, because at the end of the day, we are giving away things to charity. But, um, you know, I think a lot of our more higher net worth clients who really just don't need the cash flow from the rentals to live off of immediately. Um, there are structures we set up where they put a property into a charitable trust. And what they're doing is they're pledging that they will donate the cash flow into the various charities to get an immediate deduction up front. But the benefit is at the end of the trust terms, let's say it's a five-year or a 10-year trust, the real estate comes back to the investor. And that's what a lot of our investors like, right? If they're not needing the cash flow to live off of, they were going to donate it anyways over the next five, 10 years. Why not get a, a huge upfront deduction if at the end of all this, we get the real estate back anyways, in our name or in our beneficiary's name? Got it. So you're saying you have to be charitably minded in general because you're still spending the money and the tax benefit is like, you know, it's the same as other deductions. So for example, uh, when people are just like, oh, I need a buy, I need write-offs. I'm just going to buy this to, to write it off. And it's like, well, you're still spending the money. So you should really only buy things as a write-off, quote unquote, if you actually need it. Otherwise, you're just buying things for no reason. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that Shit's Creek. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, it's a write-off. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, tech, I guess I guess so. <laughs> Who's paying for that? It's Who cares? Somebody's paying for it. And so just to spell the, the charitable, charitable donation part of it out a little bit more, can you highlight how these can help get your taxable income down from a tactical standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a great question. So, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, that charitable lead trust that Amanda was talking about is a great strategy when – you know, clients are, you know, we obviously have a lot of clients who are real estate investors and sometimes they can, uh, you know, reduce taxable income a lot or with their real estate. And sometimes it's not enough. 
So other times we'll look at, okay, what are some other things we can do? And maybe charitable gifting and strategies come to play. Um, another big one is a donor advised fund. That's another kind of a easy, it's an easy thing that some, everybody can go to, you know, I don't know, any brokerage house, Fidelity, Vanguard, a big one, set one up in like five minutes. It's a way that you can put money into one of these accounts and take a tax deduction now, but not necessarily have to fund the, the actual charities of your choice for over time. So I guess an example where that might work would be, um, you know, maybe you're somebody that I, I donate $50,000 a year to my church every year for the next five years. So I know I'm going to give away 250, but I happen to have the money now and I need the deduction now because maybe I had a higher income year than I usually do, but I don't necessarily want the church to get all the money right now. So you can put it in this, this fund, this donor advised fund, you'll get the deduction this year. And then the fund will spread, you know, you can tell the fund every year, give $50,000 to, you know, my, my church. So that's one way we see that work really well. But it's you know, it's definitely a way to bring down your taxable income. Um, again, depending on your tax bracket, it could save you 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar. It's funny, I think, how we started out our conversation here with uh, some of the more advanced strategies that Matt and I work with clients on that are <laughs> very high net worth, um, very high income. Uh, but, the, you know, the reality is a lot of our clients are newer investors who are not making 500000 or a million dollars a year. Um, and also, even for those people who are, if they're heavily involved in real estate, odds are they don't have a huge tax liability to begin with to even need this defined benefit or um, charitable donation. Right. So a lot of the clients we work with, they're able to use real estate naturally to offset their taxes through depreciation through real estate professional or through the short-term rental loophole. And, and for us, when we do year-end planning, that's typically where we begin. We say, hey, let's look at your real estate. How can we maximize the tax savings from your real estate? And if that's enough, that gets us down to 10% or zero taxes, then we're done, right? Our job is done. It's easy. But if we can't get it down to an acceptable amount, then we look at all these very advanced charitable planning, defined benefit to get to where we want to be, basically. Okay, well, we've teased about real estate and that kind of is what the bigger pockets real estate podcast is all about. So what are some ways that real estate can help offset your taxes? Well, yeah, I mean, we obviously, as I've mentioned, I think probably 80, 90% of our clients invest in real estate, you know, for those who don't know, like, you know, it run, and it runs a gamut. It's, it's people doing full-time real estate to the other extreme where they're, you know, working the W2 job and investing on the side, like Amanda was mentioning. Right. Um, so first and foremost, I think real estate, obviously, you know, a lot of times I think people have kind of a, um, I don't know, a tunnel vision on real estate. They'll hear somebody say, well, I make too much money, so the real estate is not helping me. But keep in mind, obviously, when we're investing in rental real estate, you know, if you've got deductions you're, you know, you're taking that you couldn't deduct before, or you've got depreciation offset, we're offsetting the cash flow first and foremost, right? So the goal would be, hey, if I made $10,000 of cash flow on this rental property, but I'm not paying any taxes on it because I've got depreciation, that's a win right out of the gate, right? Because that's $10,000 in your pocket that you don't have to pay taxes on. Uh, and then from there, it's like, okay, what else can we do to look for ways to offset W-2 income or other business income, whatever somebody else might have? I mean, I feel like the m most people, and I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get into some of these actual strategies here in a second, but I mean, when you look at just the general deductions, right? Like, or sorry, the general depreciation, Obviously, that's a straight line depreciation that can lower your taxes and does have a, a, a obviously a bit of an impact on everything. But once you start using some of these bigger cost segregation, bonus depreciation plays, I feel like that's where you really start unlocking a lot of the tax benefits of real estate. Is that something that you're typically pushing clients towards or is that really only reserved for some of the more higher level uh, real estate investors? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, well, first, I will say that Cost segregation is probably one of the most impactful tax strategies within the tool belt. So that's one that all investors should understand and use at some point in time. Um, and I say some point in time because cost segregation is not ideal for everyone. We have unfortunately see clients who do cost segregation prematurely where it ends up hurting them. Um, I was actually even talking to another CPA uh, who, who doesn't do taxes, but they decide to do their own cost segregation. I was talking to them about how that actually hurt them in the long run. Um, but yeah, if you're doing things correctly and you understand that you're able to utilize accelerated depreciation through cost segregation, um, then it's definitely really, really powerful. I think there's a common misconception that cost segregation is expensive. 
It's only limited to large properties like commercial real estate, multifamily, when it's in fact not true. We have a lot of clients, actually the majority of our clients who do cost segregation are people who just own portfolios of single family homes, whether it's long-term rentals or using the short-term rental loophole. That's really by far where we see most of the people using cost segregation. Um, and especially today with kind of the ability to do a lot of these studies remotely, the cost of getting a cost segregation done has gone down a lot. And with bonus depreciation, you know, this year we have 80% bonus, the benefit has increased a lot. So we're looking at much bigger increase in benefit, a much lower cost, which is what makes it more feasible for many investors than it ever has been in the past. We, we were joking about this before the podcast, how cost segregation is the eighth wonder of the world. Although I think we might have said ninth because there might be an eighth wonder of the world that a lot of people don't know about. But... Apparently, I'm the only, apparently I'm the only one who knows about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's such a, a powerful tool, but you know, we kind of went right into this topic. Do you think one of you could, uh, Matt, maybe you could t tell us what is cost segregation for everyone at home so they understand the general premise of it? Yeah, I mean, take, you know, kind of cost seg is kind of uh, supercharging uh, real estate depreciation, right? So, you know, big picture when, when, you know, a lot of people may know this, but when you buy rental real estate, we get to take a write-off every year for a certain amount uh, against our income, uh, you know, because in the IRS eyes, you get to take a deduction like for normal wear and tear. So we call this like a paper write-off because depreciation is based on a part of your purchase price, but it's not necessarily money you're spending every year, Right. So that's great by itself. They give you, as you were mentioning, I think residential properties you can write off over 27 and a half years, straight line. Commercial properties are 39 years. So that by itself is good. But then when you add kind of you supercharge it with cost seg, what they're doing is you're getting a study done from like an engineering study. Somebody goes in, looks at the building and says, hey, instead of this building being written off over 27 and a half years, there are certain components, certain parts of it that are more like personal property or uh, we call land improvements, things that are you know either five-year assets or 15-year assets. So it allows you to take a portion of that and say that should be written off over five years or 15, again, which is great because now we're taking more depreciation sooner. And then when you add that layer of bonus depreciation on it on top of it that you were talking about, those five and 15-year assets, we can write off 80% of it right away instead of over five and 15 years. So it just kind of – it's a way to take a lot more of our depreciation expense up front, same amount over the life of the asset, but why not take more up front if we can use it and benefit from it? And use that savings to kind of you know reinvest, go out and buy more income-producing assets, right? You know, I'm I'm really happy right now because you said all of that and I understood it perfectly, like like the back of my hand because I've been studying this stuff so much over the last year, and I, it really is I think that the thing that most real estate investors should be most brushed up on, especially if you're a short-term rental investor, because you know there are ways to get it to access this benefit a little bit more if you're materially participating in the management of your short-term rental. Uh, there are seven ways to do that. But if you are, man you know, most of the time, if you're self-managing your short-term rental and you're spending more time in that business as m than most other people or than all other people in your business, then you're able to, to use this benefit and it can really skyrocket your ROI. A lot of people are looking at the cash on cash metric with their, with their rental properties, but they're not looking at the total ROI of it. And the tax component of real estate is what really explodes your ROI, I think, on any given investment. Yeah, I mean, the short-term rental loophole is probably one of our favorites. I mean, short-term rental has been around for many, many years, right? It's a, it's a strategy that we've been using with clients for, for a long time. But I think it kind of became more mainstream in the last maybe three years or so. Um, but it works really well for people who are high income earners. So that income could be from a W-2 job or a non-real estate business um, where real estate investing is sort of just your side hustle, right? So I'm working as a doctor or attorney or an IT guy making a lot of high W-2 income. Historically, we're not able to use rental losses to offset all that income uh, because of, you know, these wacky passive loss rules. And so the short-term rental loophole really is a way that allows people to continue working full-time in their profession but with short-term investments on the side where they're spending the right amount of hours doing the right things for their short-term rentals and really be able to create some massive tax savings. You know, we have people making like three, four hundred thousand dollars a year of income and paying little to no taxes using that exact loophole. I, I have no words because I'm so I'm struck dumb by this loophole. How do you how does this loophole work? Please explain more about this loophole because I want to do that. I want to pay no taxes. Can I try it? Yeah, please. Can I try? And then and then the tax people can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, so ordinarily, to be able to reap the benefits of 
cost segregation and bonus depreciation in general, you have to be a real estate professional, meaning you have to work 750 hours a, a year in a real estate business, and it has to make up more than half of your time. So this has made it very difficult for people in the real estate industry, uh, you know, like they said, who work with W-2 or, or anything like that, to reap this reward because they don't spend more, their, more than half their time in real estate. They're, they're doing their full-time 9-to-5 job, which is usually about 2,000 hours a year. The short-term loophole really blows this thing up because it now says that if you materially participate in the management of your short-term rental, that's like the official terminology. Again, there are seven ways to do this, but basically what it very simplistic and oversimplified way of saying this is if you work a hundred hours on a short-term rental, meaning two hours a week, and you work more than anyone else within that short-term rental, right? So you're working more hours than your cleaner, than your landscaper and everybody, then you are now able to uh, circumvent the real estate professional status uh, and now use cost segregation to your benefit. Who I'm getting sweaty just talking about this because I see the lawsuits <laughs> forming. But was I mostly correct there, uh, Amanda and Matt? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty correct. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that we're trying to create with this depreciation. We're trying to create losses on paper. Again, we're not. You know, we don't want you to be losing money on your real estate. But if you the depreciation is more than your net income. Now we've got a loss from your rentals and it's specifically short-term rental in this example. How can we use that loss to offset W-2 and other income? And if you can meet one of those tests that Rob was referring to, now we can use that loss that's created from the cost seg and use that to offset W-2 income of three or $400,000 as Amanda was referencing, right? Yeah. And if the short-term rental loophole is new to you, like this is the first time you're hearing about it. Um, we actually created. Mindy's shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> we actually created a whole downloadable resource just on the short-term rental loophole. So you could just go to our website at keystonecpa.com to download it, and it kind of has all the details of it. Um, my second comment is, Rob, are you open to working for Keystone CPA as a tax advisor? Because you're amazing. <laughs> I don't. I don't know he, if he, I qualify. He can talk. He can but... talk, and he knows taxes. This yeah, is like, so he does a good too. We got yeah. like I said. No poaching, Amanda. That's right. <laughs> oh, sorry, Baker Pockets. Sorry, edit that out. Okay, edit that part out. <laughs> it's all of our uh, it's all of our duty as real estate investors to understand this stuff because it's not what you make, it's what you keep, right? That that's the the rule at the end of the day. So, if anybody, if you want more context on this, we did a, an episode with Mitchell Baldridge on the Bigger Pockets podcast a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. Go check that out. It dives all completely into cost segregation. Episode 823. So be sure to go and check that out. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I lock my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24 7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, 
You need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your competitors are fighting for your customer's attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. But that's really just one of the strategies that we're here to talk about today. We've also got other good stuff uh, in the works here, like, uh, like 1031s. Can you tell us how that sort of can impact your taxes as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the market uh, has been interesting to say the least in real estate. And so in the last two years, we just had a lot of clients really analyze their portfolio um, and try to figure out, you know, is, is this specific property one that I would like to keep in the long term? Or are there ways for me to kind of reposition my equity and money into other, you know, bigger, better deals? And one of the ways to do that without paying a lot in taxes is using the 1031 exchange uh, strategy. Uh, and this, you know, is only exclusively for real estate. Like we can't sell stock and 1031 exchange into another stock, but we certainly could do that with real estate. Um, it's sort of like playing Monopoly, right? You buy a couple, you know, a couple uh, greenhouses traded up to a red hotel. And so when we do that in the real world, what happens is that we get to defer any capital gains taxes that we would otherwise pay, right? So instead of sell real estate, pay taxes, reinvest and the rest, what we're able to do is sell real estate, reinvest everything that we've made into this next bigger and better property, provided that we follow these 1031 exchange rules. So um, this is one that's saved, you know, that that many or most of our clients look at and really is a, a an amazing way to build, you know, lifetime wealth through real estate and sometimes even generational wealth through real estate too. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you're getting to you know, almost kick the kick the can down the road, right? So if you know, we have a lot of clients who will sell property one, buy property two, hold that for five years, sell that one in a ten thirty one exchange, and kind of just rinse and repeat over thirty forty years, and never paying taxes until down the road. And you know, if if everything works out and they pass away, still owning the real estate, then you know it gets goes to their heirs totally income tax free, right? So it is a powerful strategy to kind of. Um, yeah, eliminate that tax drag that Amanda was referring to from having to pay tax now and reinvesting the net and all that good stuff, right? Yeah, the 1031 is the the action you want to take with the advice of your tax professional Big before time. you even list the house on the market. You want to get all of the information because we've kind of glossed over what you have to do. There are very specific timelines, very specific rules. It's a government program. Of course, there are very specific rules. And if you miss a deadline, you miss a date, you don't cross your T or dot your I, the whole thing's out the window. And all of that sweet tax savings that Matt was just talking about is now your tax obligation. So 
let's say that I had a 1031 and I didn't do all the things I just told myself I was supposed to do. I didn't call up Amanda Hahn and say, hey, Amanda, help me through this. Instead, I said, Amanda, I just sold my house and I want to do a 1031. And she says, you are hosed because you didn't call me beforehand. Do I have any recourse? Is there anything I can do with that? For sure. And I mean, to your to your point, Mindy, I think Taking a step back to uh, same thing we we're talking about earlier, right? A 1031 exchange isn't necessarily for everybody, right? So it needs to be something that makes sense in your shard. Sometimes there's people that they jump the gun because they've heard about 1031 exchange. They go out and do one. It's like, hey, you actually, your tax liability on the sale was $1,000 or you actually had a loss on the sale. So you didn't even need to do it, right? So, I mean, that's it's oversimplifying things. But to your point, it's like, make sure it makes sense. Uh, now, if somebody kind of goes through the process and figures out, hey, I didn't follow the rules or I couldn't find my replacement property, what have you. Now I'm sitting on this gain to, that I might be paying taxes on. There's definitely things people can do. I mean, one thing we kind of, um, you know, look at is, you know, look at, um, you know, especially coming up on year end, I mean, now's a good time for people who maybe had these kind of failed 1031 for a lack of better term, right? Maybe now is the time to look at, do you reinvest in somebody's syndication before year end that's going to go out and buy an apartment building that's going to do a cost seg, it's going to give you a K1 with an expected loss and you can use that loss to offset this gain from sale of the real estate. So it's, you know, we kind of, we jokingly refer to it as like a lazy, lazy man's 1031, you know, where it's uh, kind of get the similar benefit, but you just didn't, you know, kind of go through the, the hoops, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe you just have other rentals that you've owned um, that you have not done a cost segregation on or um, you didn't need to for some reason. Well, this is a good opportunity for you um, to do a cost segregation on the rest of your portfolio because those losses that you generate typically can offset the gain on that failed or partially failed 1031 exchange. So absolutely, this is a big one that uh, we're currently working with a lot of clients are, again, because of the, you know, the kind of shift in the market. We had a lot of people who sold earlier in the year, but they just couldn't find the ideal replacement properties. And so now this is the time to do the homework and say, okay, what can we still do? What can we still buy? What can we still cost segregate? so that we can offset the gain that already incurred earlier this year. Sure, sure. So we've got two more here in the buying category that I just want to quickly run through. I'll I'll give one to each of you. But Matt, can you tell us about the cash out strategy and how that could help uh, with the whole tax preparation side of things? Yeah, I mean, if um, if you've got some equity built up in your rental properties and you're looking to tap into that and kind of use that to continue to build your portfolio, you can borrow against your rental property. If you reinvest in other rental properties, that interest you're paying on that on that uh, extra loan amount is is now tax deductible against the new rentals. The cash amount that you took out from the previous rental, not taxable to you right now because that's another loan, right? So it's a way to get additional cash into your portfolio, reinvest it and do it in a tax efficient manner. Awesome. And uh, Amanda, what about syndications? Syndications. Gosh, you know, I love syndications um, for several reasons, right? One, it's it gives you the ability to leverage other people's knowledge and other people's credit or borrowing ability into bigger and better deals that maybe me by myself am not able to access, right? Um, we were talking about the tax benefits of depreciation, accelerated depreciation. Well, typically we're talking about that on a smaller scale, my single families, my duplexes, but the same exact concepts and strategies work at the syndication level. And in fact, it works with little to no effort from me, right? Because it's the sponsors who are doing all of those strategies. And what I get is a nicely wrapped tax loss on the K-1 um, that I hopefully get to use to offset either my passive income or maybe even some of my active income if I'm a real estate professional. Um, so yeah, syndication investment is also really a, a big point that we look at for year end. Again, with a lot of our clients who had a really great year in real estate or in their business, and we're saying, hey, how can we just uh, get more losses in the limited amount of time that we have? Um, but again, like we keep saying, it's, it's not a one size fits all. So definitely make sure you work with your tax advisor. We have seen clients who, you know, pour a lot of money into syndications expecting to use these losses where without that proper planning, they were actually limited in how much they were able to get in terms of benefits too. Or often they just can't use the losses because they aren't a real estate professional, right? That I feel like that happens relatively often where, they hear about the, you know, the deduction, the losses, like great, and then they find out that they're not a real estate professional. And they get mad, you know, they get mad at the the syndicators for not making that super clear. So I've heard those stories yeah. often too. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, just with everybody listening, um, your syndicator is not your tax advisor, right? Just like your attorney is probably not your tax advisor. Your barber is not your tax advisor. So we can all hear these great strategies. But before you implement, you just got to talk to your own tax advisor because that's who knows your situation. Yeah. I want to underline that your syndicator is not your tax advisor. They might say things that sound tax advisory, but they're not going to pay your tax bill when their advice, their information doesn't actually pan out. Uh, so you need to get somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, which is why you pay a tax advisor. Okay. Moving on. Uh, let's quickly cover some of the tax strategies for when you're selling properties. What is this prepay early by one day business? Prepay early by one day. So when we talk about year-end tax planning, um, one of the things we look at is the timing of things. And so, um, you know, whether you're selling a property or not, right? Let's say I'm someone, I'm looking at a, a higher taxable income for my rentals, or I was going to be able to use, you know, some of these losses from my real estate. One of the things to consider is prepaying our expenses, and so that means taking a look at what I expect to pay in rental related expenses January of next year and then prepaying those before the end of this year. It could be me paying by cash, paying by check or even just charging it on my credit card. The significance of this is let's say I had some marketing fees. I'm going to pay it December. If I was going to pay January of next year, that's a 2024 deduction. But if instead I paid it by December 31st of this year, now it becomes a 2023 tax deduction. So even though I've only prepaid it by one day, I've accelerated that tax savings by 365 days. Wow. Okay. And can you, um, another one that that's, I feel like is worth noting is sort of like time of the year in which you sell the property. Can you just sort of talk about the difference between selling your property in December versus selling it in January? Because I feel like that all kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, it, I think it actually works kind of really in the same format, right? So if you're you're in the process, you know, come December, you're looking at selling a property and it looks like it's going to close in the last week of the year and you're sitting on X amount of gain, you're going to pay taxes. Um, if there's a way for you to kind of push that sale so it doesn't close until January 2nd or 3rd, obviously not killing the deal, right? We're not trying to kill the deal. We're just trying to defer it maybe a week or so. Uh, but just by doing that, now all of a sudden you've pushed the tax, you know, tax liability back an entire year, um, which is good by itself. But then it also gives you another 365 days to plan for next year and find ways to longer time to offset that income versus if it, you know, sold on December 27th and where it is for sure a 2023 transaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll share an example with you guys. I know, you know, so far we're talking about the sale of real estate, but I can share an example um, where we had a client last year who was selling a business. So he was selling a medical business. It was closing, you know, in the fourth quarter and he wasn't going to be a real estate professional because he was in the, you know, his business all year. Um, not enough time to buy short term rentals. And so one of the, the suggestions we said is let's close the deal early the following year. So now fast forward to 2023, you know, he's got a lot of real estate now. Uh, able to do real estate professional. So not only do we delay the capital gains tax on the business sale, but we also have all these great opportunities to offset it now that he is able to do real estate professional and has a, a much larger portfolio because he had the time to earn those hours. He had the time to build up the portfolio in that second year. So it could be really phenomenal. You know, we joke that it's only one day or two days, but it's a, a, a very big difference in terms of maybe hundreds of thousands of taxes or paying no taxes. And to Matt's point, you don't want to blow up the deal when they want to close in December and you want to close in January. But if you are now giving yourself an entire year to find more deductions and consult with your tax professional to, you know, have more opportunities, you may want to incentivize your buyer to push back the sale a little bit, because honestly, what is it going to do to them to, you know, and they might be in a 1031 exchange where they have a tight timeline, but if there's any wiggle room at all, incentivize them in some way, I'll reduce the price. I'll let you put in a tenant early. I'll do, you know, what can work for you. And, you know, that's real estate works best when you can be creative with your solutions to help uh, find a solution that w everybody wins with. Yeah. Completely agree. So we've 
covered buying, which we talked about, you know, the, the STR loophole. We talked about the 1031 exchange, cash out syndications. We just covered selling, which is prepay early and then selling in December versus January. Now I want to get into owning real estate. Matt, do you think you could touch a little bit on the tax benefits of ownership when you're not a real estate pro? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously real estate investing, um, some people go into it, you know, not going to be full-time real estate investors, right? So they're, you know, from a tax planning perspective, they're not going to be able to real estate professional or they work full-time and they can't convince their spouse who maybe doesn't work full-time to be a real estate professional because that conversation comes up a lot too, right? But um, yeah, if you're not going to be in that boat, I mean, I think real estate investing still makes sense for for an asset class for sure. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, first and foremost, we're looking for ways to offset that cash flow, right? So you're getting cash flow in your pocket, not paying any taxes. And then from that perspective, other things you can do to look at saving taxes. I mean, we talked about charitable gifting strategies earlier. That's a big one. Retirement planning can come into play. Um, there's other alternative investments. Some of our higher income people who are not heavy in real estate look at doing uh, oil and gas uh, investing. So that can be a tax efficient investment as, as a way to reduce your taxable income as well. So there's, there's different ways to kind of do it. Um, yeah, I know, Rob, you mentioned real estate professional status. And I think that's a common misconception that people think that there is only a tax benefit for investors if you are a real estate professional. Mm, um, mm-hmm. One that's not talked about a lot is actually for people who make $100,000 or less of income, um, you actually can use up to $25,000 of rental losses against that W-2 income, regardless of whether you're a real estate professional or not. And so for some of the people who are maybe starting out in their career uh, or, or starting out in real estate where they fall within that definition of $100,000 or less of income and they're investing in the long-term rental space, um, it's entirely possible that all these strategies like write-offs and cost segregation could benefit you um, because that could save you a big chunk in taxes, right? If you're able to use 25000 of losses against that income. Yeah. And then for those who are not real estate professionals, that's why that's so powerful, right? Because we can use some of those uh, retirement strategies, right? Making contributions to retirement accounts or contributions to HSAs to bring that income down closer to that $100,000 mark so we can use that maximum of $25,000 rental loss that's allowed for us. So there's definitely, um, again, the importance of tax planning, right? You, if you, you don't know what your numbers are, you're not making the making the moves you need to move, make before you're in, now's the time to kind of figure out what those numbers look like. Yeah, totally. So we touched a little bit on, on write-offs, and a lot of people have heard about write-offs, but you can't write off everything, popular to what they say on Schitt's Creek. Uh, it's a write-off. What, what is the guiding principle for what you can and can't write off on your taxes? Amanda, can you shed a little bit of light on this? Yeah, sure. Um, the one thing that we suggest all investors to do is to practice asking yourself when you're spending money on something, ask yourself whether this expense is ordinary and necessary to me as a real estate investor. And the answer to that question will differ person to person. It'll differ for a short-term rental investor versus a long-term or a midterm investor. Um, but the reason you want to do that is because then it helps you to understand whether you're spending money on the right things that will help better your business. And those are really the only two requirements that the IRS looks for, right? Ordinary is this ordinary for you as an investor? And is it necessary? Is this expense necessary for you to carry on uh, as a real estate investor? And if you don't know the answer to that, because let's face it, right, there are things that are kind of unclear. We're just not sure if it is or is not. Um, if you're unsure, that's what your tax advisor's job is, right? So call them up, send them a quick email and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing XYZ or I'm thinking about buying this. How can this be a legitimate tax deduction? And the powerful word here is how, right? How puts both you and your advisor in a more creative space. So maybe the answer naturally is no, you can't write it off. But how can you do it? Well, if ABC were to happen, then this could potentially become a legitimate write-off. What are some things that investors forget about when they are sharing expenses with their tax professional and not doing it themselves? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) What are some of the most common? Yeah, that's such a great question. I I think most most investors, they they don't forget about mortgage interest or property insurance or property taxes, right? That's the stuff that people remember. But it's more the kind of what we call like the overhead costs of being a real estate investor. So it's um, educational costs, dues you're paying, professional dues, uh, travel costs to go to conferences, um, mileage is going back and forth to look at properties, meet with a real estate agent, um, 
my business meals, right? Home office deductions, another big one. All those kind of things that these are costs that you are likely incurring because you're being in the business of being a real estate investor. They're not necessarily specifically tied to a specific property, but you're still incurring these costs. And those are the ones that people tend to forget about, you know, whether, you know, it's various reasons, right? They don't know about it. They forget about it. Their books are a mess and they just not organized. You know, it could be all of the above, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think a common misconception is people think they need to have an LLC or a corporation to write these things off. And I mean, I feel like we've said this a thousand times, but people still don't always understand it. So the deduction is a business deduction if it's ordinary and necessary to your real estate. You don't have to have an LLC. You don't have to have a corporation to write these off. Now, if you have an entity, that's fine too. But having an entity is not a prerequisite to taking any of these deductions that Matt just mentioned. Matt, you said educational costs. Could I write off, let's say, um, a Bigger Pockets Pro membership account? Ooh, I see what you did there, and I like it. Absolutely, because it's going to help you uh, learn and expand your investing business. You're going to make money on your real estate. You're going to be able to be a better buyer, a better operator, a better seller, all the, all that good stuff, right? And what about a trip to Cancun? Oh, for Bigger Pockets Con 2024. <laughs> there you go. For sure. I think on Instagram, I did a reel last time when we went uh, to San Diego about all the different things you write off. So, yeah, it's the tickets, it's the hotels, it's the flight. Um, it's probably going to be all the meals, too, when you're there, right? Because I'm assuming you're not going to go and eat by yourself. So you're there to network with other investors, um, with people that you might be partnering with. So uh, for things like that, yeah, those are pretty clear cut that those are our business expenses. Okay. And uh, thank you because the, you did allow me to give a little bit of a plug, but also there's a lot of people who aren't sure that they can write that off. So they don't, and you're missing out on like, look, every dollar you don't give to uncle Sam is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Pay all mm -hmm. that you should, but pay as little as you have to. Let's talk communication, best practices, <laughs> best practice. That's a good one. How can I work best with you, Amanda Hahn, my tax provider? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that was her help me help you question. right? Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, there are people who maybe have never worked with the CPA before and don't know what to expect. Um, do I just show up at your office with my roller suitcase full of all of my receipts? Like that's what you want, right? Um, you know, I think the heart of tax planning, um, just like with real estate planning, right, as a business owner, we need to have the correct numbers. And what I mean by that is if you told me you made $10,000 in rental income is a very different set of strategies than when you tell me you made $50,000 of rental income, right? Or maybe even that you had a $10,000 loss. The strategies will be very different. So um, in year end tax planning, the first thing that we want to look at is updating your books and records, right? Get a, a good idea. We don't have to get to the exact dollar amount in the sense, but we need to know overall big picture. Where do we fall currently with respect to numbers? Because that's the first, um, the guidance on, okay, where do we go from here? How much income are we trying to offset or how much additional losses are we trying to extrapolate from the other resources you have? So I think, you know, in any investor and also outside of taxes too, as you know, just as an investor, you always want to know, like, how are your properties performing? You don't want to just know that 12 months later and then figure out, oh, wow, I wish I would have known earlier, I would have made some different business or investment decisions. Yeah. And I think to, to your question about kind of communication, right? I, you know, I, in our experience, best practices there are just have that open line of communication. So it can be as simple as sending your CPA or tax advisor an email just saying, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Do you have any feedback, input, comments, questions, um, all that good stuff, right? Because um, we can only help you to the extent we know what's going on in your tax plan area, tax investing and all that good stuff, right? So having that open line of communication helps us to start thinking strategically on your behalf um, versus waiting until, you know, we were joking off air, right? <laughs> April 14th or even October 14th. That's a, that's a lot harder to help you for last year, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I treat my real estate like the business that it is. And everybody listening should also be just like me and treating it like the business that it is. And I treat my tax professionals like the partner's that they are. They are my business partners. They are providing a service for me and I need them to do the service. 
I want them to like me. I want to give them my numbers as soon as I have them. And I want them to be organized. So the easiest way for me to give you organized numbers is for me to have them be organized throughout the year. I don't throw everything into a pile and then figure it out on April 14th. That would bring so much stress. I put my, I just have the one property now, but when I had more than one property, they had their own folder. This property gets this information. This property gets this information. And then you present this information. You can put it into a spreadsheet. Hey, do you like electronic numbers, Amanda and Matt? <laughs> is it easier to do when the work is already there? Um, so yeah, if you are, here's a, here's a PSA from Mindy to everybody who is, Thinking about using a tax professional and you should be able to use, you should be using a tax professional. Organize everything by property. Make a Google Dropbox, make a Dropbox or a Google Drive folder to have the stuff there. Scan receipts and upload them. You don't have to necessarily do anything with them in the moment, but have them available electronically. Take pictures of documents. More information is better because your tax pro knows what they're looking at. They see a document. They're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense or that, you know, that isn't relevant to this property. I'm putting it to the side. I would say more like you say more information, the better. I would say more organized information is better, too. Thank I, you. I definitely yes. try to create folders with like that. That's like 2022 taxes. And then I click into that and then it'll be like cost eggs and uh, LLC closing docs and formation docs and all that kind of stuff because it's already hard enough to sift through all that. So really try to make things easier for your CPA so that they don't have to like go digging in a, in a haystack for a needle. Organized and with easy to understand names on those folders. Yeah. Like January 2022 is a really great way to label the January folder. <laughs> I see Amanda smiling over there. I, I assume you don't get organized folders all the time. Uh, you know, so for our clients, we, we kind of enforce the issue. So for our clients, when they upload, we set up the folders for them. <laughs> Even better. So they just yeah, drop great. it into those folders. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think uh, uh, the whole concept of like bookkeeping um, or tax planning sounds just really scary, you know, to the everyday investor. But really, I think one thing you mentioned earlier, Mindy, was like, hey, your tax advisor is your friend. Um, so it's not scary to call them uh, because because the goal for us, at least, I don't need my clients to tell me what the strategies are or ask me very strategic questions. All I need is for you to tell me, what do you have going on? What are you planning on doing? What are you thinking about? Um, and that's all I need to know for me to then run run with what are the the strategies or the considerations for those. Bookkeeping, too, you mentioned a lot of really great ways to help people get their books set up. And it's really about systems. People, I think, are always asking us, like, you know, what is your favorite way? Like, how do you want me to track my expenses? What software? And we always tell people it's not about what I want. Right. I just need a property by property. But it's about a system that makes sense for you. And for Mindy, it might be Excel. For Rob, it might be QuickBooks. But we need it to be a system that you or your bookkeeper likes because ultimately you're the one that's doing it, you know, week, week in and week out. One of the questions we get a lot from newbie investors, you know, for someone who's just starting out, getting into bigger pockets, learning about real estate, but maybe don't have a rental property yet and maybe don't won't have one until next year. It's still important to make sure you keep track of all of those expenses, because even though you're not going to claim it on this year's return, right, since we don't have income yet, um, you certainly could carry those expenses forward into next year and claim those in next year once you start to have real estate income. So, um, you know, just because you're newbie and you don't have real estate income yet doesn't mean all these expenses are lost. There definitely will be benefit for you in the future. So make sure you capture those. Yeah. A couple of quick tips about business travel come to mind too, is uh, make sure you're documenting your travel ahead of time, right? That's a big thing that the IR looks, looks for is that if you are going to travel to Florida for a conference of some kind, uh, you know, having email documentation in place before you book the airfare or the hotels, Versus just going down there and deciding, hey, I'm going to go to this conference or I'm going to go to this property. That's a good way to kind of substantiate your deductions. Uh, and another one, too, is if you are in business with your spouse like I am, uh, obviously, we talk about business all the time. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're writing off every meal that we pay for because you want to be reasonable in everything you do, right? And yes, you are going to talk about business, but you know, hogs get slaughtered, right? So uh, be reasonable in your deductions. I, I think uh, it's going to go a long way in helping you from a tax planning perspective. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. I mean, again, for anyone that's 
wanting to dive into this world, be sure to check out episode 823 to get more into cost segregation. And if you want like the very um, easy to understand manual on this, be sure to also get the book on tax strategies. Um, I always We always joke that I don't ever read, but I actually flip through this very often. This has taught me so much about 1031s and so many other things in my journey. So you guys put a lot of information out there. We appreciate everything that you do. Um, if people want to reach out and learn more about you, Amanda and, and Matt, how can people do so? Oh, yeah. Well, first, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that book. I didn't know you're uh, a fan of the book as well. So thank you for it's that. A, it sits behind me every day. Yeah, I could tell you just rolled back and grabbed it. <laughs> He's saying it sits behind him. It doesn't mean he's reading it, but it sits right. behind him. It's part of the visual background. <laughs> Read it. I own it. Um, so yeah, like I said earlier, you know, if you're, um, if a lot of the concepts we talked about today is new to you, uh, you know, short-term rental loophole, what is a real estate professional? Why do I care? Uh, you go to our website at keystonecpa.com. We have a lot of great free resources that you can download. Um, it'll give you some additional information regarding what exactly are within those strategies. And, um, if you're looking for daily tax tips, um, or want to know what we're doing outside of taxes and real estate investing, the best place to find me is on Instagram as Amanda Han CPA. And the best place to find me on social is right behind her in those Instagram videos. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, what about you, Mindy? Where can people reach out and learn more about you on the interwebs? I am on Twitter is my favorite at Mindy at BP. That's M-I-N-D-Y-A-T-B-P. Awesome. And you can always find me on YouTube and on Instagram at Rob Bilt, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. I talk about all things real estate, short-term rentals, occasionally uh, a very simplified version of taxes, but never never to the degree of, of the actual experts on this episode. So go listen to them for all of their tax tips. Um, thanks, everybody. We appreciate you uh, listening. And be sure to leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform or wherever you download your podcasts. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.